Hello and welcome to Getaway Day, this week in baseball for the week of February 22nd, 2024. We've got lots of news. Um, We tried to parse through this stuff to talk about the stuff that actually matters uh, that we really wanted to talk about. And we're going to start out with the Angels. Uh, They had some players making some comments uh, to the media and very high profile guys Anthony Rendon and Mike Trout. Uh, let's start with Mike Trout. Mike Trout uh, kind of talked about his status as a member of the Angels. He's been there for a long time. He's got a lot of years left on his contract that runs through 2030. And clearly the Angels are not really, they've not been a successful team pretty much at any point during Trout's tenure with the team. And you I think start we to can wonder, go back like farther than that, they haven't been a successful team since 2002. Yeah, yeah. Just one playoff appearance for Trout, and you start wondering: Is he a guy that would seek out a trade? And his words on the surface say, "The I mean, I guess like the big headline is, no, I'm not seeking a trade." I, I think that's the easy way out. That's essentially what Mike Trout said. But if you look a little deeper, I think we're getting close to the breaking point for Mike Trout, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're past the breaking point for every fan on earth when it comes to Mike Trout, his contract in the Los Angeles Angels. And for it seems like a couple of years now, we've been looking at it like, why did Trout sign that extension? He could have hit the open market. He could have gone literally anywhere else and got the same amount of money. Um, It turns out that with some of the injuries, maybe it was a smart idea that he took the contract and then can just force a trade if he needed to. Um, But then Otani left and Perry Manassian said that if Trout asked for a trade, they would honor it. Um, And it kind of felt like, okay, this is your chance, Mike. Get out of there. Let the Angels rebuild because they're clearly not going to be able to build a team around you. I'm glad that he's finally maybe starting to realize that. Um, I think this is basically a last chance year for the Angels. If they don't try, they don't build something around him and show some actual steps forward. Not some of these. We've got a couple good young prospects that are going to come up, be sort of productive. We're still not going to be able to pitch. We're still going to be bringing in 34-year-old Tyler Anderson or however old he is to be our ace. I think Trout's starting to get sick of that. Yeah, and his comments show that. He's not – every year he said, I'm fully committed to the Angels, and he's still saying that, but there's a tone that I I sense a shift in his thinking about this whole situation – He's at the point where, like, it needs to happen sooner than later. Otherwise, Mike Trout will be on another team. Well, and up till now, it was a little bit easier to understand because there was the other greatest player of our lifetime in the same dugout. It's like it would have been so, I don't want to say easy. It would have been so much easier to build a contender with both of them than with only one of them. And when the ownership in the front office isn't willing to do that and then the other guy leaves, it kind of leaves you with a, oh, crap. 
I'm still stuck. The other so. part of the trout situation is trading his contract is not going to be like the easiest thing in the world. <clears throat> he's got, he's being paid like $35 million a year for a long time. And he hasn't really shown that he's been able to stay on the field for years and years now. Like this goes back to, I think 2017 might've been the last time that he played like, or 2018 was the last time he played more than 140 games in a season. So this guy has some serious injury concerns and last year his performance was worse than it had been any other year. So we might be seeing the decline of Mike Trout, unfortunately, and that's going to make things difficult, I think. Well, and the injury that he's been fighting is his back, which is something that does not heal quickly. I mean, or, it's so much more than that. It's like the ticky-tack injuries, too, like breaking well, his hamate bone. And yeah. It's, it's yeah, always but, something, though. Yes, but even when he's healthy from that standpoint, his back isn't. Yeah. Which is kind of a problem. So... Okay, uh, beyond Mike Trout, his teammate, Anthony Rendon. Would you like me some... to do a dramatic read? <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll take care of the reading. I'll let you respond first. Crap. So okay. Anthony Rendon spoke to the media. Um, and I'll just, I'm just going to read the, the quotes here, probably not as dramatically as Mason would have. But Rendon said, it's never been a top priority to me. Regarding game, uh, this is a job. I do this to make a living. My faith, my family come first before this job. When he was asked if it was priority at all, Rendon quipped, oh, it's a priority for sure because it's my job. I'm here, aren't I? And then goes on to later say, Barry Bonds is arguably the greatest player to ever play this game. People still hate him. You can't make everybody happy. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I don't want to have surgeries. You think I like going out of the knife and being in pain the majority of the time? I can't pick up my kids. I can't walk. You think I enjoy that? I don't want to do that. So there's a lot there to unpack. Go at it. So I'm actually going to come at this maybe not the way that you would expect. At face value, his words make sense to me completely. That's how I feel about my job. Like my job is not my first priority. My friends, my family, my cat. Those are my main priorities. My job comes second. Absolutely. I get that. Um, not wanting to. The surgeries thing kind of confused me a little bit. I don't know if I missed the question, but basically people are asking if his job is a priority at all. And he says, yeah, because it's my job. That's the part where with this particular job kind of gets me a little bit irked because he is lucky that he is talented enough to play a game for a living like and there's other players who have come out and said i understand how lucky i am that i can play a game that i love for a living to bring other people out of their uh Take them away from real life for two and a half, three hours a day. Just let them watch a game and enjoy themselves. They're in the entertainment business. They're playing a game. It, it, it's a job, but it's not a normal job. And it feels like he's letting his teammates down all the time by basically saying that 
He's got a whole bunch of other priorities first, even though that's totally understandable. But the dude doesn't really show up, it seems, if he doesn't have to show up. He's not really there for his teammates. He's there for a paycheck. He his own, he's not even played 162 games with the Angels yet. Yeah. And amazing. he's been on the team for four years. Yeah. No, I guess like, yeah, I, I sympathize with Rendon. And I think some of his frustration about his situation and the injuries are kind of taking a toll on him. That's why he's speaking like this. I think we were never hearing from Anthony Rendon when he was at his peaks, when he was at like superstardom in 2019, you know, awesome player. The guy like was one of the best players in the league, but now it's just like, it's hard for baseball fans to hear from this guy because he's so, he's so brutally honest and like you can always appreciate honesty, but this honesty is like, like, I don't get why, like, what's the point? Well, well, so I, I think that's the, the thing is he's being honest, which in general is cool. Yep. But the way he talks about it is the way that a lot of people talk about their job on the assembly line at the companies that you and I work at. Like jobs like that, where it's like you don't have some of the privileges that he has with his job. And so it comes across as really tone deaf. Like, I I get it. It's they're very valid concerns. I don't I don't think he should want to have to go through surgery after surgery and always be in pain. I don't think he should put baseball before his family. I get all of his frustration, but at the same time, the way that he kind of talks to fans the way that he talks to the media is very very tone deaf absolutely yeah and and it's almost like you can't have it both ways right like the compensation matters here he makes 35 million dollars a year yeah. <laughs> there's so many millions of people baseball fans that would love to be the anthony rendon's shoes so like he he can make the choice right like he can walk away from the game of baseball he has enough money to do that but he's choosing to not do that. And he's still complaining about it too. Like publicly that's that, I guess that's the part that's bothering me. He makes the same amount of money as 350 really well-paid engineers. (laughs) Yeah. A year. And he's played one full season of games in four years. So he's made $140 million dollars. For one season of play of of work, and he's complaining to an entire country that makes significantly less than the three hundred and fifty well-paid engineers that I just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, like like if if those engineers think it's tone deaf, imagine the people that don't get paid like engineers. All right. Like, yep. yep. Well, he clearly doesn't care what anyone thinks, and that's his right. He can say yeah. what he wants. He's just not hes not making any friends, and he's not becoming popular in any way. Let's do this. Let's let him do what Marshawn did. Let's let him sit in front of a microphone and say, I'm just here so I won't get fined and eat Skittles. He never needs to say another word of substance, because I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I mean, every time he he does speak out, which he actually rarely does, it's something like this that people are not not thrilled about. Yeah. 
That's Rendon. Um, moving along to the Orioles and some unfortunate injury news. Uh, Kyle Bradish has a sprained UCL, which uh, is always a bad sign. Uh, they're, they've gone with the uh, plasma injection to help that out, and he's going to try the rehab and rest recovery route rather than surgery. But this usually doesn't end well for the pitcher. Like They usually end up having Tommy John surgery at some point. I mean, fingers crossed that, that it doesn't happen to Bradish because it's, it sucks. Like he's coming off his breakout season. And I think lots of people were extremely excited to see how he would follow that season up. Um, the Orioles also have John means kind of coming, coming around slowly. And we don't know that like the extent of his, his arm issues, but that's two guys in the same rotation that are, slowed to start the year yeah this is really unfortunate for the orioles i mean right after they make some huge news in the starting pitching market and get corbin burns like you lose potentially even though he was throwing from 60 feet the other day bradish was but like this doesn't look good long term for him like you're potentially going to lose Bradish for a significant portion of a season, if not a whole season. If it's not this season, it'll be next season. Like at some point you're, he's going to go down. That's just how these things typically work. And John means being out like they're starting. They're starting with ankle weights on is, is where they're starting. Like this is a team that made so much progress last year was so, so good with so many young players that you really don't want to hamper them from the start. I mean, they won the division. Like, you want to repeat that. And just, you can't help this. It just is what it is, but it's it's really unfortunate. Yep. Uh, baseball in the Olympics. That was a story that popped into our feeds in the last week or so. Um, this would be for 2028 in Los Angeles. And there's talks about it replacing an all-star game for that season. Uh, what do you think about baseball in the Olympics? I love it. Um, so we've the WBC has shown that there's so many countries that like baseball and play baseball that don't really get uh, the opportunity to do it on a world stage and show off their talent. I mean, we saw um, the Czech Republic in the WBC this year and they actually had some pretty good players in there. I mean, they didn't really make a ton of waves as far as winning a bunch of rounds and getting towards the finals, but uh it's we're seeing countries that are upstarts in baseball and trying to grow this as more of an international sport outside of um the Asian countries, uh Latin American countries and US where they're typically played. Um and so I really, really like it. I think a lot more people watch the Olympics than watch the WBC. So it, from just a marketing and PR standpoint, this would be huge. And doing yeah. it in an Olympics that's in the U.S. makes a ton of sense. So. Yeah, I, I think I mostly agree. I think baseball is never going to be a main draw in the Olympics, though. So no. I almost wonder if the WBC could be even more promoted and and 
just focus on that event and make that like the number one thing. The reason I say that is because there are some real concerns with the logistics of baseball in the Olympics. You have to pause the season. You have to get um, international leagues on board, like the KBO, NPB, MLB, all in sync for when that break would be. And there's a lot of travel issues with it too, I feel. Um, it's it's no more than it is for the WBC, I would say. Maybe a little yeah. bit just because of the timing uh, with the it timing being Summer Olympics. Because um, the WBC being played in February is kind of when none of the leagues are actually going, right? Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, those same leagues have worked through this before. I mean, it affects spring training. I think it affects maybe the KBO a little bit for the WBC. Maybe. But I, I think... Because those are the players and the the main players that put on the WBC too. I think they look at it and will see it kind of the same way that I do. Is like the main focus is the WBC turning it into a FIFA World Cup for baseball, something that's actually like incredibly popular. And every four years, although it's, isn't it three years for the WBC? Uh, I think so. Yeah, but every couple years, it's this massive tournament that everyone looks forward to. Um, but you need those people who are going to stumble upon baseball in the Olympics and then promote to them that there's a WBC. Like, you can't just start an international competition and expect it to be big if people don't know about it, which is no, where... that's a great point. Like, people were not really stumbling upon the WBC until they were a little bit more this past year. I think this was the most popular one that we've ever had, but yeah, the Olympics yeah. just gets so many eyes on the game and that can only be a good thing. Well, and then it's covered as part of like the ESPN coverage because they'll talk about the Olympics and, and all this national sports media where they have to talk about it. That's the big event that everyone cares about. Whereas the WBC has always been like, Hey, here's some highlights of some baseball. Meanwhile, spring training there's like March, March Madness going on. There's spring training going on. There's other stuff. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Okay. I'm on board. You convinced me. Let's go. Um, what do you think Mike Schilt did to convince Xander Bogarts that he was moving off his uh, position that he's played his entire career? Uh, he pulled out the, um, the Cardinal Way book that he has, um, and he said, Red Shandis said, this is the Cardinal way. You will play second base. And um, Xander said, yes. Yes, sir. He's like, I've always wanted to be a Cardinal. And then he forgot to look down where it said Padres. And he's like, okay, we'll do it. Um, so remember when I keep saying Xander Bogas went to Havid? Uh-huh. It was Havid preschool. <laughs> yeah. He was yeah, easily man. duped into moving to second base. He was. Yeah. So I guess like, it's just like, it's year two of his 11 year deal. And he's moving off the position that he was signed as like, we always knew like of the four big shortstops last off season, Bogarts always seemed like he'd be the guy that probably would move off shortstop maybe first before Turner and Correa and, uh, and Swanson, but, but one year, but one year, really? Well, I mean, and, and for and for who? Kim Ha-sung? He's yeah, only going to so, be there for one more year. So then what are you going to do next year? 
Well, that's Jackson Merrill time, I think. Um, it's <sighs> it's like it makes sense though. Like you got to admit that Bogarts is not really the best defender at shortstop. Like the numbers back that up. The eye test kind of says that he's he's fine, but he's not a premier defender. They actually have one on their team in Kim. So for the 2024 team, it makes a ton of sense. It's just like that contract never made sense in the first place. And it's still, it's still a tough one. Yeah. Well, and Xander Bogarts is the third best shortstop on that major league club. Yeah. They already moved a guy off shortstop for Bogarts. And now they're moving him off shortstop. Yeah. Like, I mean, it it worked out with Tatis because I think Tatis is probably going to deal with fewer injuries in right field than he was at shortstop. No, that was a smart move. Hopefully working out. Yeah. Yeah. And he's now a gold glover at right field. So good move. But two years in a row. You're just moving someone off a shortstop and and then you're going to have to have another new one next year because the guy that you're moving there permanently this year is probably not signing back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you think this comes from Preller, or or is this like a Schilt move, this specific one? This feels like a Preller move, to be honest. Um, so the way that Mike... So Mike Schilt was unfairly um, given the... Uh, the blame for a lot of the Cardinals woes when he was fired unceremoniously. Um, I think they cited creative differences between the front office. Mike Schilt is a very uh, old school manager in the same style of a Tony La Russa, of a Mike Matheny, of like the guys that came before him and taught him how to do his job. I do see there being a world where he looks at Xander and goes, dude, you're really not all that good at shortstop. We're going to move you. But at the the same time, I don't know that as a, because he just got the manager job, right? Correct. Okay. First first stamp on the team. Okay. Because for some reason it feels like that was last year now, but Yeah. I don't think Mike Schilt is going to come in and make that big a move or like those big of waves in his first camp with a team. If he did it next year, I would totally understand it being a Schilt thing. But just the timing of it feels like Preller. I I actually disagree. I think he's trying to put his mark on this team and and saying the best players are going to play their best positions, you know. Kim is the best shortstop defender. He should play shortstop. It's not about the money. That's that's his message to the team by making this move. Okay. I I can see that. Which if that's the case, I like it. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't know. I I, I think it. I think it's going to light the fire under their butts that they that wasn't there last year. Cuz that was such a talented team last year and it it didn't really do anything. Like, exactly, yeah. I, I think that hiring Schilt was probably one of the better moves they could have made. Going outside and basically getting a guy who he he's very opinionated. Mike Schilt is very opinionated. He will tell you what he thinks, and I think that's maybe a good thing. I kind of feel like maybe with Jace Tingler and and a couple of the guys, 
that they've had recently. It just has been kind of a they're managing and they're trying to do the best job they can, but they're trying to appease too many people. Mike Schilt doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit. Well, I don't think Bob Melvin did either. I just don't think he got along with Melvin. I mean, with uh, with Preller. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was just like it didn't work out clearly. And uh, I don't know if Schilt's going to work out with Preller either. Uh, <laughs> probably not. But at what point does ownership go, hey, uh, AJ, you've had like seven different managers you've and had, none of yeah, them have worked out. Maybe men. you're the problem. I know, like, and that could happen with with new people as Preller's boss. Things could change. Yeah. All right. Uh, We got a note here on uh, Rob Menfred and his last term as commissioner. I'm I'm not going to, like, talk about Rob Manfred because there's this other thing I want to talk about that's more related to 2024 spring training. And I just feel like it falls under the umbrella of, like, the Manfred regime, even though it's not necessarily his fault. It's just the kind of thing that has happened consistently as Manfred has been the commissioner since what year was that? 2000 and was it like 2014 something? I thought it was 12. Let, I'll, I'll check. You keep so, talking. Yeah. I'll check. He's been around for a while. So the thing I want to talk about are the uniforms that everybody hates in spring training. And, you know, Manfred's not directly responsible for this. 15. 2015. So Manfred's not responsible for the jerseys being messed up by uh, Fanatics and Nike. But he is the kind of person that doesn't really care about a lot of the appearances of baseball in general. He doesn't care. He doesn't seem to care, like, what the fans really think of the game. He's doing the best job he can for the owners. These little details, like how large the numbers are and the letters are on the backs of jerseys and what threads they're using uh, that the fans really care about. We care about all those little details. He just kind of glosses over them and allows this stuff to happen. It, like it's been one nightmare after another during the Manfred era. So Manfred has been a part of baseball since 1987. I, I'm just mentioning that so that when I say this next part, you'll you also scratch your head because he's been a part of Major League Baseball since 1987. And he doesn't care about baseball. He never has like he called the World Series trophy a hunk of metal. That's the thing that. Fans of the game kind of worship that trophy. And you're calling it a hunk of metal, basically talking down to the fans of the sport that you run. Like his entire thing is basically. He's a businessman. That's all he is like. He doesn't even care about the company that he's running. He just wants to run the company is kind of what it feels like. And because he's making all of these moves that are supposed to benefit baseball financially um, that seem to be disrespectful to the history of the <laughs> disrespectful to the history of the game, disrespectful to the fans of the game. And even the owners are not happy with it. Like with this whole situation, like Nike used to produce the uniforms. Now Fanatics is producing the uniforms, licensing the Nike logo. It's not even Nike making them. 
Um, but Bill, or uh, yeah, Bill DeWitt the third, the Cardinals owner, was furious because the the main thing with the Cardinals is that they have the stitched logo. The logo is completely stitched, and it it just has so much character, and it's just such a historic thing for the franchise. He wanted to keep it with these jerseys. They told him no initially. He's the third richest owner in the sport. And they told him, no, you can't do that with your logo. It's going to have to be screen printed to save us money. And then he said, Nuh-uh. and then they said, OK, but you can only have two colors. And he's like, no, no, we're going to do all three colors. We're going to do the stitching. You're going to figure it out. And they kind of did. They stitched it onto the press on thing and then they're pressing on the logo. So it's still pressed on, but it's still stitched and whatever. He's still not happy with it. It looks terrible. He's still not happy with it. And then they go and they change the font size. They change the font. They change the placement of the MLB logo on the back of the jersey to where it's now in the center of your back instead of being up at your neckline, which forces the letters down, which makes everything weird. Justin Verlander's name is not all that long and shouldn't be touching his numbers. Both things are happening on his jersey. It's ridiculous. Did you Uh, see the Pete Crow Armstrong jersey? I did not. It's literally from like the complete side in the middle of the numbers to the complete side in the middle of the numbers. It just humps over it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's it's bad. And hopefully they get that figured out because. They should care about this. Like, it really does matter. It's a, it's a thing that people watch. People watch baseball. And you want people to buy these jerseys. <laughs> exactly. You want people to buy them because they look so cool on the field. If they look bad, then who's spending hundreds of dollars to buy that thing? Well, did you see the pants? Yeah, the pants don't even fit Carlos Estevez and many well, other it's, players. It's not, the, it's not even the fit anymore. It's, you can see through them. You can see their underwear straight up. Like and it's, it's, they were not even customizable. So it's just. Yeah, just it's it's so ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, like fanatics. I understand why they're doing all the stuff with fanatics, because from a money making standpoint, kind of monopolizing everything, which is what they're doing, by the way. Um, but they have an antitrust exemption with major league baseball so that makes it really weird so we'll see how this plays out in the courts but uh they're doing it all to reduce cost and make the most money they're not changing the price of the jerseys in fact i think they went up but i believe it um like nobody likes them the players don't like the look of them some of the players like the feel of the jersey like the fabric which that's fine. The fabric could be awesome. It's the details on the jersey that they're sucking at. Like it, Nike should really be controlling this. Like it's their logo. If I were Nike, I would be pissed. Like cuz this is a bad look for them and they're not even the ones producing it. The quality control is not theirs. Like the only thing that they're doing is getting money so that someone can stamp a Nike logo right on the chest, which is also now almost too high. So the proportions are just all off. They clearly have some quality issues. And also the design is not not quite right. Hopefully they get that figured out fast. I don't think they're going to midseason. 
I think they're going to wait and they're going to do it next season. So it'll just be that weird 2024 when all their uniforms look terrible. Yeah. And nobody buys any jerseys. Yeah. Well, that's, that's their fault. So, yeah. Um, and then we got one more thing to talk about. And this is um, Rafael Devers, Red Sox superstar, putting the Red Sox ownership on blast after they've been like one of the most, um, I don't know like what the right word for it. Like they, they feel like they, they're getting just ripped by fans. And now one of their own players is calling them out. And he's the guy that can do it because he's the guy that's got like 10 years on his deal and he's making 300 plus million. And he is not a guy that has ever spoken the way he did uh, yesterday about the organization. He He's kind of like a guy that just worries about himself, doesn't speak up really. And now he's, he's so, doing that. And, and go ahead. I think his nickname is very fitting for what he did. His nickname is the baby faced assassin. Yeah. And he, Kind of just straight up assassinated the ownership for their treatment of of the franchise in the last what, 10, 10 years. I'll just read this one line from Devers. He said, everybody knows what we need. You know what we need. They know what we need. It's just some things that I can't say out loud, but everybody who knows the organization or who knows the game knows what we need. So, I mean, that could not be more clear. And I love it. I love that he's doing that. I just hope it drives some action because the Red Sox have been so frustrating to me because they act like a small market team and then they make weird uh, management decisions by like moving on from Heim Bloom when he did exactly what he was brought in to do, which was cut payroll, improve farm system. Like he did all those things, they just didn't win. And then they moved on to a guy that's exactly like him in Craig Breslow. Yeah, I I don't know. It's a team that is neglecting their major league franchise. They're, they're doing a lot of good business in the minor leagues. Their minor league teams are great. Like, but they completely forgot that they are in, like, one of the top five largest cities in the United States with probably, arguably the one, number one or number two most rabid sports fan base in the country only rivaling or the only team or city that rivals and maybe is above is Philly. Uh, what about the Yankees? But yeah, I don't know. No, I, your point I, I, is I think like as far as like, clearly top, top fan base. Yeah. Like as far as fan base expectations, nobody's is higher than the Red Sox. And they've completely neglected their fans. The Red Sox ownership is doing to that fan base what Rob Manfred is doing to the Major League fan base. They're doing the exact same thing. They're trying to maximize profit while putting in the least quality product. Absolutely, yeah. And it's totally different than than the Red Sox of old that spared no expense. They were always competing with, with the Yankees going neck and neck. Now... I mean, I'd prefer to be supporting the Yankees at this point than the Red Sox because they just don't have a direction, and the direction they've picked is not not sitting well with me. They should be doing more. Yeah. 
So hopefully the babyface assassin gets the support that he wants uh, and so do you have any, drastically needs. So do you have any uh, fun uh, topics to talk about as we just close out this episode real quick? Because we just kind of hit some some down ones there. Uh, yes. Yes, I do. Um, so spring training is a really, really fun time where you kind of get to learn a lot about new players on, on your teams, right? You like get to know their personalities and stuff like that. Yep. Well, maybe the single best thing I've seen is from a guy who is, it's his first year back with the club, but he's been with the Cardinals for a long time in the past, but Lance Lynn's back and Lance Lynn is not being shy about letting people know who he is. He has a, uh, Ford Bronco that he drove in and it is Barbie pink. It is beautiful. And like it's, it sits in the parking lot. Everyone knew who it was when he drove up. They're like, that's Lance. He gets out. He's talking to like Jim Hayes and whatever. And they're having a grand old time. But then um, today the Cardinals posted a video on Twitter of just the Bronco. And it goes to Lance Lynn's face. And he just, points at a particular part of the car. Like he pointed at part of the grill and he just goes Bronco. And then they go to a different part of the car. He points Bronco. It was like a 20 second video. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious. Let me know in the comments uh, your favorite, uh, like get to know you thing with uh, players on your favorite team uh, from this spring training. So let me know those in the comments. I would love to see them. And yeah, we're talking about like some a little bit unsavory stuff, but there's so much fun going on too. And uh, we got to appreciate it too. Yeah. So that's going to wrap up for this week in baseball. And we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and YouTube to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Getaway Day Pod. If you enjoy card collecting, check out our sister YouTube channel at Getaway Day Cards. 